Second Peter chapter 1. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Please pray with me. Lord, we ask for your assistance in reminding us of these truths. The truths of the gospel that have transformed us from children of wrath to children of light. These truths that give us hope, that strengthen us as we are on our journey towards an eternal kingdom. And I pray that they would have that effect, that you would give understanding and clarity into Peter's words, and that you would assist me in doing so. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Have you ever considered the validity of the statement, life is a journey, not a destination? It's possible maybe some of you in your workplaces have a plaque, you know, with a sunset or something behind that. And there's some truth in this statement. Life is a journey in the sense that we don't know what's going to happen from day to day. Often um, we think we're going one direction and we end up turning and going in another direction. We don't know what each day will bring us. But to say that life is not a destination suggests something that uh, would indicate that there is no end. There is no purpose to our life. There's no reason for our existence, which of course is not biblical at all. It's actually a fairly uh, nihilistic statement. At best, it's an existential statement that we make meaning as we go, so to speak. And maybe a better way to, to say it would be life is a journey with a destination for the Christian. We know what our destination is. We are pursuing an eternal kingdom. And Peter's point in this passage is to help us make certain that we will reach our destination. And the strategy that he calls us to employ is really two things, which you have in your outline. That we would diligently pursue godliness, verses 10 and 11, and that we would remind ourselves of the truths in the Word of God, verses 12 through 15. So let's just dive right in, beginning at verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So the first thing to, look, to notice there in that verse is the therefore, because it ties back to what Tim was describing, explaining to us last week. That statement particularly that was made in verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
So the point that Peter is making is the best case scenario for a person who is lacking in these virtues that were listed is that they're spiritually blind. Best case scenario. Even if they are genuinely saved, they're in a deplorable condition. They're like the prodigal son who after coming back to the father, imagine if he were then, after being given all that grace, being restored to his father, were to turn around and go back to live with the pigs. They're in a wretched condition. They're like the people described at the end of chapter 2. If you look at Second Peter chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, he describes the people this way. What the tro- proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And Peter's point is, you don't want to be like them. You don't want to be like them, which is why he writes, Therefore, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. The word translated diligent means to do something with an intense effort, to work hard, to do one's best. They are to be all the more diligent to confirm. He doesn't say be diligent to make yourself called. Be diligent to make yourself elect, but rather be diligent to confirm that you are called and you are elect. Confirmation is the issue. See, one does not make himself called by his own diligence, but his diligence confirms the reality that they are in fact elect. They've been chosen. And those words calling and election refer to our salvation. God elected us or chose us for salvation, that we might be saved. And when he saw fit, he called us. And when he called us, that is when we were born again. That is when we were saved. We responded to that call. And the evidence that we have responded to that call is the changed life. Is these practicing of of the virtues that that he mentioned in chapter 1. Another way to think of it is that we are justified by faith, but we're verified by works. We're justified by faith alone. There is no good works that can make us right with God. Only through the the death of Christ on our behalf can save us. But the fact that we are saved is verified by the fact that we pursue a godly life, that we Keep his word, as Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so it verifies that we truly do love him. And these ideas are also drawn out well by Paul in his letter to the second, uh, to the Thessalonians, his second letter to the Thessalonians. And please go ahead and flip there. Uh, Second Thessalonians, and I actually want to look at verses 13 through 15. Because he, he says what Peter is saying, but just in, in slightly different words. And I think it's helpful. Second Thessalonians beginning, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. He says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you, that is, he elected you, as the firstfruits to be saved, through sanctification, that is, through being made holy by the Holy Spirit and belief in truth. So they, they were saved through sanctification and their faith, their belief in the truth. To this he called you. 
How did the call come? Through our gospel. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the aim, of course. And then notice also what he says. Now that you have been called through the gospel, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So it's by holding fast to their traditions, remembering what Paul taught them, that they will continue in the faith. Look carefully again at the theology in these verses. You have God electing and God calling and believers being saved through the hearing of the gospel and believing it with the aim that they would live holy lives. And that holiness will be accomplished to holding fast to what they've been taught. And this is more or less what Peter is trying to say in Second Peter in the passage we're looking at today. If you are chosen and elect, you will practice these qualities. They will be a part of your life. And what will the consequences be? He says, you will never fall. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. The statement in Greek is actually noteworthy. It uses the strongest grammatical structure possible to negate an action. In other words, in Greek, there are a number of different ways to say no. That something's not going to happen. And he adds to it the word ever, which makes the statement even more emphatic. He's saying, you will never, absolutely, if you do these things, you will never fall. That's his point. If you diligently make your calling and election sure, you will never fall. And Peter certainly doesn't mean that we're not going to sin anymore. It, It could possibly mean that we would never commit some egregious sin if we do this. But I think it most likely refers to falling away from the faith. That if you are doing these things, you will never reject Christ. You will never fall away from the faith. And this is especially seen in conjunction with the, parable sta- the parallel statement he makes in verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The aim is to make it into the eternal kingdom. You will not fall on the way to the eternal kingdom if you practice these things. You can have confidence in it. So the point in verses 10 and 11 is essentially the same. Verse 10 says it negatively. You will never fall. And 11, positively, an entrance will be richly provided for you. And that word entrance is also a pretty interesting word. It's a combination of two words. The word ace, which means into, and the word hodos, which is way or door or path. So literally, it's the road into This is reflective of Jesus' statement in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the hodas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the heavenly kingdom. And Peter adds to this road imagery in saying, it will be richly provided for you. The words richly provided essentially mean, you will have everything you need. You will be given all the supplies that you need 
to make it there. You will be lacking nothing for the journey. You will be fully supplied so that when you get to the gates of the eternal kingdom, you will certainly be granted access. When I was a kid, I learned about Oregon State history, although I lived in Wyoming at the time, through playing the Oregon Trail video game on my Apple IIe. Did, did anybody here also play the Oregon Trail video game? Okay, all right. So you, okay, I'll have to explain a little bit of the details. At the beginning of the game, you, you have to buy supplies to begin a journey from St. Louis, Missouri to, uh, to, to eventually make it somewhere here in the Portland area. Okay, everybody else knows. Oregon City. All right, so that's where you're trying to go. Um, obviously, I didn't take Oregon State history. I just know about it from a video game. Um, but the point of the game is to make it to Oregon. And you can choose to be a banker or a carpenter or a farmer. And based upon which person you choose, you get more money to buy supplies when you start the journey. Um, the banker, you get the most amount of money. The, and uh, the carpenter a little less, the farmer a little less. But when you make it to your destination, if you make it there, the carpenter's points doubles and the farmer's triples. So it's that, what's your aim? To try and make it or try to make it with the most points? But the key to the game is to make sure you had what you needed for the journey. And as long as you had plenty of supplies, you know you would survive. And your family members would survive. And I believe what Peter's trying to say here is that all we need to have confidence that we're going to make it to the eternal kingdom is that we pursue godliness. We need to know the gospel, but that's not really enough for confidence that we're saved. It's enough to know how we're going to be saved, but it's not really enough to have confidence that we really are saved. If we want certainty that we're going to make it into the eternal kingdom, our lives need to reflect the reality that we truly have been born again. That's what Peter's saying. We don't want to end up like the character named Ignorance at the end of John Bunyan's story, Pilgrim's Progress. Ignorance is shocked when he arrives at the gates of the celestial city. And Bunyan writes this about his reception. He says, When he was come up to the gate, he looked up to the writing that was above and then began to knock, supposing that entrance should have been quickly administered to him. But he was asked by the men that looked over the top of the gate, Whence came you? And what would you have? He answered, I have eat and drank in the presence of the king, and he has taught in our streets. Then they asked him for his certificate, that they might go in and show it to the king. So he fumbled in his bosom for one, and found none. Then said they, Have you none? But the man answered, Never a word. So they told the king, but he would not come down to see him, but commanded the two shining ones that conducted Christian and hopeful to the city, to go out and take ignorance and bind him hand and foot and have him away. Then they took him up and carried him through the air to the door that I saw in the side of the hill and put him in there. Then I saw that there was a way to hell, even from the gates of heaven, as well as from the city of destruction. Peter says that our aim is to make it to that eternal kingdom. And it's actually the only time in Scripture that the kingdom of heaven is referred to as the eternal kingdom. And I believe Peter chooses to use the word eternal 
to contrast it with the temporal age that we currently live in, that we often put our hope in. We often make it our life here as the aim of our life versus the eternal kingdom for which we are aiming at. Our destination is truly a destination in every sense of the word. And that is why Peter wants us to be certain that we will never fall away. And the strategy, again, that he calls us to employ is rooted in knowing the gospel, that is, knowing truth, and then living out that truth with godly lives. And Peter's saying, you can have absolute certainty that you're saved if you believe the gospel and diligently pursue godliness. Certainty of salvation is not something that's subjective. It's objective. That's why he's saying this. It's something that you can and, and, know, and you're supposed to know with certainty. God does not want anybody guessing if they're saved or not. He wants each one of us to have confidence that we will make it into his eternal kingdom. And so he says, if you want that certainty, believe the gospel and then live that gospel out with your life. Pursue these qualities. We Americans are, are very intuitive people. We, we tend to often uh, believe things because they, they, they seem right or they feel correct. They feel true. And likewise, when it comes to salvation, that's often what believers will put their confidence in. What they might, if they feel saved. But just because you don't feel spiritually strong doesn't mean that you are spiritually weak. Remember what Peter says in verse 3. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have everything that you need to live out the Christian life. He's given you all that power. We have all the power and strength we need to live godly lives. But we don't always feel like it. In fact, we rarely feel like we have the power we need. And we don't always feel saved. But just because a warning indicator light starts flashing in your car on the dashboard does not mean that all of a sudden your engine disappeared. It just simply means something's wrong. It needs to get checked out. Similar to our feelings. They, they can be good indicators of something that's wrong, but they don't necessarily mean that you're not saved. Our feelings are tied to our physical body and they typically reflect what is on our mind. And our mind is reflective of how we are doing spiritually, which is why we are called to remember the truths that have been given to us or to have our mind renewed with the scriptures. See, if our mind is thinking upon the truth, then you would expect emotions to correspond with that. And that is often the case, but it's not always the case. Often we can know something is true and not feel it true in our heart. A good example of this is I can know that something's wrong to do, yell at my kids, for instance, for something they did. I can know it's wrong, and yet I feel like doing it, and so I do it. So feelings can be a bit deceptive. It can feel like the right thing to do, and I can say it's wrong, and yet the feelings don't correspond with what I know to be true. Feelings can be deceptive. They're not wholly trustworthy. They're good indicator lights, but they're not the best mechanic manuals. 
We need something more trusty to hold on, on to than our feelings for confidence that we're saved. And that's why Peter gives us this. In fact, that's, that's why he's writing, as he says, rem, uh, in, in really a second point, remember the word. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter says, I want you to know this stuff with confidence because I care about you. So I'm going to spend my last days reminding you of these truths. And you see this slight transition in what he's focusing upon. In the last section, he was focusing upon what what he's calling the believers to do. And here he focuses on what he's doing in order to help them do what he's called them to do. Their job is to pursue godliness in light of the truth that they have. And his job is just to remind them of the truth that they already have. It's to remind. Peter emphasizes yet again, they already know this stuff. This isn't new. They're already established in the truth. They're they're not lacking anything necessary for spiritual growth. They just need to hold fast to what they've been taught. And you'll see that this is in in almost direct contrast with the false teachers whom he's warning against warning them against in this letter. Notice how he describes these false teachers in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master that bought, who brought them, bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And, their greed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. You see, they're, they're trying, the false teachers are trying to lead them astray, following different teachings. And the fact that sim- Peter simply wants to remind them of what they already know says so much about Peter in contrast to these false teachers. See, you see the heart of Peter as a shepherd. You recognize it shows that he has no desire to gain a following. Peter's not saying, you need me in your life. If it wasn't for my teaching, you would fall astray. He says, you already have what you need. I'm just reminding you of it. Hold fast to what you have. He's showing he's not, he himself is not what's necessary for their growth. What's necessary is they'd hold fast to the word. They just need to be reminded of what they already know. You can see he's not under the delusion that the church needs him. You reckon he's just a tool. And that is all the more emphasized, or clarified, I should say, in verse 13. As he writes, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's describing his impending death. He's going to die serving. And he knows it soon. And that's why he's so earnest For Christians to know and to remember God's word. 
What would you do if you knew you were about to die? Would you go skydiving? Put all your efforts into somehow avoiding that fate? Go travel the world? Spend time with your family? Peter chooses to spend his time making every effort to remind them of the truth. It's the same word that he uses earlier. He knows he's about to be crucified of all things. Because as he says in verse 14, Jesus made it clear to him. And this is in reference to that last conversation that Peter had with Jesus in John 21. And so go ahead and flip back to John 21. Because there's some interesting insights, I think, that will help clarify what Peter's getting at here. John 21, the last chapter of John, and Jesus has this conversation with Peter. And in verse 18, uh, Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Those are specific words that he's using. Intentional Follow me. And Peter knew he was about to be crucified. And the greatest burden upon his heart as he writes to these believers in Asia Minor is that they would remember the Word of God. Have you ever wondered, why do we spend so much time in a worship service in preaching as compared to singing Why don't we spend more time singing or more time praying or more time with other liturgical elements? Why do we spend so much time preaching? And why do we spend so much time in our community groups discussing the Bible? And why don't we spend more time doing other things? Talking about the week or praying? Why are the elders continually exhorting us to read and study the Bible daily? Is it really that important to study and devote yourself to knowing the Bible? Peter thought so. So much so that he devoted his last days on earth so that you would know this. Weeks after Julie and I moved to to the Seattle area, uh, we were out church hunting. And we met some fellow believers at a church that we were checking out. And we visited, and, and afterwards they, they invited us to dinner. Uh, they were actually in the process of, of moving back to uh, Minnesota. And so they had, they, all their stuff was packed up, so we just ate in uh, the garage. They picked up some Chinese food. And they just asked us what, what, what we were looking for in a church, and, and they asked how they could pray for us. And likewise, we asked how we could pray for them.
And they mentioned that Andrew, who was the husband and father, had been diagnosed with cancer in his throat. And to make a long story short, it became clear after a few months that that Andrew was not going to survive. And so what he did is he started making videos of himself um, so that at uh, key events in his family's life, knowing he wouldn't be around, he could speak truth to his kids and his wife. And so as they would grow, as they would celebrate Christmas or have birthdays um, or before they got married, they could take out the video and they could hear from daddy. If this were you, what would you say to your kids? This is what Peter would say. Remember the word. Remember the word that you were taught. Hold fast to it. Why? I think it's because of what Jesus told him. In John 21, if you'll remember, the point of that last conversation in John 21 wasn't really about Peter getting crucified. Jesus had other, another point. You'll remember that Jesus kept telling Peter, he kept asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter kept responding, Lord, you know I love you. And remember how Jesus kept responding to Peter? He said, then feed my sheep. And three times he responded to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. So you recognize it's not simply Peter's desire that you would cling to the word of God, but it was Jesus' final wish too. As Jesus is about to depart his disciples for the last time, or one of the last times, he makes it clear in Peter's mind, this is your job. And you can see Peter's doing it. This is what Peter's doing in his last days. He's feeding Jesus a sheep. Because it's so critical. The Word of God, being reminded of the truths of the Word of God, is what will hold us fast in the storms of life. When, when things aren't going as we expect, when our emotions are warring against us, when we lose heart, it's the Word of God that we can cling to with certainty. Which is why he says, remember the word. Let's pray. I'm so struck by Peter's words, that his last words to his disciples To his friends, I should say, is they would simply hold fast to what they've been taught. So many things, Father, that Peter could have chased after. And it it helps me see how I take your word for granted. How I quickly look to other things to give me confidence, my own efforts. Other people, other books, words of affirmation from some way or another. I look to so many other things. And it also, Father, shows me how much we have in the Word of God. That not only have we been given everything for life and godliness, 
everything we need to pursue a life of virtue, a life that would honor You. You've given us Your Word so that we can have certainty in what is true. What an amazing gift. And I pray that we would treasure it more. We would treasure it as You want us to treasure it. That it would not just be a discipline in our life. It would be the love of our life. Not that we would love the Bible because it's a book, but we love the Bible because it's Your Word. So Lord, transform us with Your Word that we would be the people that You've called us to be. We ask these things in Your name.